This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry all right we're back last uh <laughs> last show before the break i guess oh maybe not but last set of games before yeah. the break here, and uh, somehow the Ducks have rattled off their first <laughs> back-to-back wins since November 1st. It's been that long since the Ducks have been able to rattle off two straight <laughs> wins, and, and surprisingly enough, they did it in uh, a back-to-back scenario. Um, yeah, that was yeah. crazy. I, I think we called that completely wrong. I think we both said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. If we get one somehow point out of any of this, we'd be uh, more than amazed. <laughs> So uh, we suck at predicting right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, we were looking at that Carolina game thinking Carolina's probably the tougher opponent right now, mm-hmm. but the Ducks and the Hurricanes were both going in on back-to-back. So yeah, it could be a, a bit of an easier game, but you still have to go into Carolina, which is a tough place to play. And then we also kind of said the same thing about Nashville, always yeah. being a tough place to play this year, even even though the Predators aren't playing as well as, as they usually are during the regular season. <laughs> But the Ducks got UC Soros, and uh, that seemed to be the, <laughs> the, the difference maker in this game. He didn't have a, sure. he didn't have a strong performance. Uh, the Ducks played pretty well. I don't say they they controlled the play, but they kind of did what they had to do. John Gibson made some some key saves throughout the game. Uh, I think at one point he robbed Nick Benino like three times mm-hmm. on the same play. So it was yeah. kind of a you know a big a good team win and I guess the the big cliche here full 60 minute hockey game for the Ducks which is uh <laughs> I I absolutely hate that cliche. I hate I hate that that reference but I've already heard it a few times in, in interviews from the players, and I'm pretty sure Dallas Akins has mentioned it already after that game and after mm-hmm. both of these games. So maybe it has some merit. But the Ducks end up escaping that one with a 4-2 win. How did you feel about that game? I liked it. Uh, I mean, they, they finally showed uh, yeah that, that cohesiveness uh, where it just kind of seemed to, to kind of work on the offensive side, defensive side. And, you know, they just kind of kept plugging away. And I also hate that cliche, just keep plugging away, shift by shift, and we'll do it, <laughs> that sort of deal. But uh, it, it had the feel of kind of what I was hoping for throughout the entire season. It wasn't overly dominating, but it, it was enough to win. It was, uh, you know, very few mistakes and uh, a lot more of that offensive kind of jump and capitalizing on some of those offensive chances where it seems like 
we've gotten those chances in a lot of games and just we don't do anything with it. It felt like we kind of capitalized when we had those opportunities. So I, I was much happier with this game, and uh, it just it kind of just sucks. It feels like it's like, oh, we started to do good. All right, well, hey. You know, all star, and you know, then shortly after that, you'll you'll take a week off. It's like everything you're you're kind of finally getting fine tuned. We're, we're going to put a whole break on that for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's one of those games where you you look at what went right in this game, and and it's something we really haven't seen from the Ducks too much. I'm just I'm laughing at something in the chat here. <laughs> Somebody said uh, something about playoffs here, and I just uh, <laughs> that uh, that, is, that old that like is... college football uh, interview just kind of goes up my head nah. like that TSN hit where he goes playoffs. You're playoffs talking about, about playoffs? playoffs? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was just running through my head. But you know, it's yeah. it's one of those games where um, Dallas Aikens was obviously clearly upset. I think the the last one of the articles we talked about in the last podcast. Uh, was some of the more angry quotes we've seen from Dallas Aikens in his time with the Ducks so far. And obviously we talked about Bob Murray and how he wasn't happy with the play. And, and of course, the players aren't happy the way the Ducks have been playing. But this was a bit of a shakeup game. We saw Getzlaff with Raquel and Sprong, which is something we haven't seen. Uh, Jones still with Steele and Kasha, because surprisingly enough, that line's actually been pretty decent so far. Uh, we saw DeLeo get his first start of the season playing with Henrik and Silverberg, and then obviously Derek Grant, uh, along with Silverberg, returns to the lineup and retains his fourth-line center role. And then the most interesting switch-up, I think, was on defense because Lindholm and Manson were starting to find their footing again, and Fowler and Goodbranson were arguably the Ducks' best pairing this year. And uh, all of a sudden, now it's Lindholm and Goodbranson and Fowler and Manson that get put together, and it was uh, split the way... You know things turned out in, in in terms of who played well and who didn't. Uh, Lindholm and Goodbranson struggled. I don't want to say heavily, but they definitely struggled in this game. But Fowler and Manson looked excellent, and and I feel like Take this it. is something. We, <laughs> yeah, we we've seen this before. This was two seasons ago now, where Fowler and Manson were just infinitely put together, and it was Lindholm yeah. I think in Montour or or I can't remember who Lindholm was with. I think Monta was out or hurt or something at that point. But it was Fowler and Manson that were just, like, put together constantly. And it just was not working. And I, I'm pretty yeah. sure, like, I wrote an article about that, about how how bad it Cam is. Fowler had been doing that year, but how, how much more he was kind of dragged down by Josh Manson's play. I know it's only two games, but they've they've yeah. looked good. They've they've actually looked pretty decent. Who knew Who knew it wasn't really that uh, Josh Manson was really bringing Cam Fowler down? It was just the Carlisle system that was bringing everyone <laughs> down. But yeah, no, I mean it's it's weird. Like Cam Fowler's kind of like the same thing as like when you had uh, Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff. It's like these these two guys have talent. You just got to find someone to just play along with them, and it, it should work out. And it, it's always. They could never really find that. They can never find that other winger that just consistently worked. And it's the same thing with Fowler. It's like it works in spurts and it works then, and then things kind of fall out and you know things don't work and then they do. I I, I like it. I mean, I like that if we can put Manson anywhere because he's he's a top four D man in my opinion. He just has not found his way this season. It's been a struggle for him. But if he can find some way to work with, if it's not Lindholm, then if he can work with Fowler, that's two. That's two great defensemen that can work. And then Lindholm is, you know, usually good on his, on his own, and bring somebody else in to kind of work it all out. So, it, you know, it's it's a shakeup. It's something that 
at this point, it had to happen. What else are you going to do? Just continue on down the path you've been going and just hope that all of a sudden it starts working or maybe shake it up, see if there's something else changes. And, uh, you know, maybe this style works a little bit better now this year than it did in the you know past seasons for uh, Fowler and Manson. Yeah, I, I could definitely see it. I, I think they were sheltered a bit more in the fact that Lindholm and Gibranson were getting the lion's share of, of defensive zone starts, and they were out there against the uh, the top line for the Predators and the Hurricanes. So you kind of expect their numbers to be a bit down, and Fowler all all year this year, even with Gibranson, is, is being put in position to succeed, where he's been given mm-hmm. those offensive zone starts. And I don't want to say he's been sheltered, but he hasn't been given those hard minutes that he was last year and that he was the year before that. So... That's a reason why Fowler's done so well, and you would think you know Manson being able to take benefit of that as well. That is kind of an area where Manson can succeed is when the team isn't playing well. If you're trying to throw him out there in mm-hmm. tough situations and against the opposing team's best players, that's a tough role for Josh Manson. We've seen him succeed in that role with Hampus Lindholm when the Ducks were good, but the moment the Ducks turn to a team that you know was struggling to get points, was struggling to beat some of the best teams in the league, that pairing of Lindholm and Manson hasn't been as good. And, and I don't want to put that all on Josh Manson, but it, it, it kind of feels like that's been a big shift for him. Is, is the moment this team wasn't competitive, Josh Manson really struggled to kind of live up to the standards that we'd put on him. Yeah, and I, I'm wondering too, maybe if say, he doesn't have necessarily the same offensive support that he had in the past. And then without that offensive support, he's relied on a little bit to kind of just do it on his own. And maybe he's not at, at that level or that caliber um, that we we maybe thought that he was doing with Lindholm, but when you know a team is a little bit you know better offensively and you don't have to consistently see wave after wave hitting you, uh, then maybe you kind of relax a little bit better. You start playing a little bit better defensively, and you don't have to worry so much about the mistakes. So I wonder if that's also a possibility of why Manson's you know the last couple of seasons has struggled a, a little bit even with different styles or different coaches. Well, you know, one thing we hadn't seen from Manson all year was uh, him getting up in the rush and, and being a, a threat to score, and he ends up getting a goal in this game. What was a great pass from Andre Kasha, let's let's not kind of mm-hmm. bury that under the rug mm-hmm. there. He, he threaded the needle through about three Predators players to get that across <laughs> to Josh Manson. But you know, what I'm impressed with, honestly, is the fact that Josh Manson actually got Once himself he, in that position. Did it. <laughs> yeah, like, in position he, and finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he got himself in position, kind of yeah. bobbled the pass a bit, but he got enough on the shot where I think I think Saro still got a piece of it, but it found its way into the back of the net. Honestly, like, I, I don't expect Josh Manson to always get in those positions, but when you remember back to when Josh Manson was playing – I, you know, at, at his peak, when we thought you know he was putting up thirty plus points, and and was a guy that you know we didn't think would be able to put up points, but he just reliably was either scoring goals or, or picking up secondary assists here or there. He was a guy who occasionally would get up in the rush, and he'd get up on a play like that and be open and be that kind of fourth guy, that fourth forward into the zone. And we're seeing it again. It's one game, two games yeah. that we're, we're kind of seeing this from Josh Manson. Hopefully it's a bit of a turnaround for him. You know, it worked with Fowler being put yeah. in that position where you're given a, a bit more, um, a bit more of a break in terms of your so defensive either. responsibilities and, and yeah. you're, you're getting those offensive zone starts. You get a bit more freedom to do things offensively. Maybe, maybe that works for Josh Manson. Maybe that is the best place to put him in. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because it's almost like you you would think Josh Manson would be that guy who's like, hey, Fowler's going to be the guy who's going to get in that rush. He's the the offensive talent from the back end. You need to back him up. So if it doesn't work out, you're the guy back. So to have him, you know, go from when he was playing with Lindholm, and Lindholm's kind of the guy who also plays a similar Manson style in that he's more defensively responsible and not so inclined offensively. So it's kind of weird that all of a sudden he goes and plays on Fowler's line and now he's given more of a chance to be offensive. It just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird. I mean, if it works, it works, you know, find, find backfire spot. if they're both doing that, right? Like, if, yeah, exactly. They both, they both take the there. wrong step at the wrong time. They're like, Oh yeah. Lindholm would have had that. Or, Oh yeah. My other guy would have had that. Which is a, a bit of what we saw when they were paired together the first time. Um, yeah. you know, obviously a different system under Randy Carlisle, and they weren't given that freedom to, to get up, but they were caught on occasion both trying to get into the play, and, and hopefully we, we don't see we don't see a repeat of that. Because it would be nice to – I mean, I, we had found some semblance of consistency with Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Goodbranson, and – you know, just because things look good in underlying numbers and, and we, we seemed to have two good pairings, the Ducks still weren't winning games. Not to say that all of a sudden switching two guys around is the reason the Ducks won these last two games. There's a lot of things that go into it. But if, if this works and, you know, both Lindholm and Goodbranson can, can find some chemistry and Fowler and Manson can keep things going, then... Why not? Why not try it out? Why not? Why not give it a shot? And then at least you have two different options, and you can kind of swap things around. If if something isn't working, you can go back to what was working before. It it is a nice uh, a nice kind of different option to have depending on who you're going against. The problem is in both games, Larson and Holzer were not great. So yes, no. the Ducks have two pairings that they can kind of swap things around, and and those will work. But as we've seen all season. Uh, Jakob Larson and Kerbinian Holzer were, were paired together in both these games, and and they struggled. So it it, it you know, you've got some good there with two pairs two pairings working out, but then you've got some bad there in the fact that uh, that Larson and Holzer and, and really whoever you throw in that bottom pairing this year just has not worked out. Yeah, I mean that's gonna I feel that's gonna be the struggle for the rest of the year. I, I don't see them uh, doing anything where they're gonna bring in a, a significant significantly great five or six defensemen that's going to kind of change that so it's just a rotating wheel get them in there hopefully they don't make enough uh, mistakes that cost you too much focus on those top four um my opinion it's great Gabrunson and uh Fowler doing or sorry Gabrunson and uh Lindholm are there but you know ultimately I think I think Gabrunson's probably on the way out and you know so it's just Get what we can take for the time being. Get to the you know off season and start looking at you know or the trade deadline and try and see what we can get and kind of move move away from this. This season's kind of tough on defense. I don't think there's a real quick or easy solution that's going to be solved uh, this season at least. You notice how they took Josh Mahura out of this mess pretty early. I mean, you could argue he was. Why would you want to keep him in it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you could argue he was. I I don't think it's a hard argument to make that he was better than Jakob Larson, better than Holzer, better than Michael Delzato, like better than those those three options that you have for that bottom pairing. But why anchor him with Holzer or Larson or Delzato this year when? play him in San Diego, play him top pairing minutes down there and, and get his confidence up. And then hopefully next year, if you have a better guy to put him with down there, you can give him some more opportunities or you can maybe move him up into 
uh, a top four position. But um, yeah, I, I think you know a lot of people were getting on uh, Dallas Akins and Bob Murray for for having him down there when he looks so good. And and even you know I was kind of on the on that wagon a bit too. But it, it does make sense to not expose probably the Ducks' most talented defense prospect right now to to a situation like that where you have to play with those guys and, and get exposed on a nightly basis. Yeah, and you, know, you, you, you tend to get bad uh, tend to get bad tendencies. That's a bad way to say it. But you, you can get bad tendencies if, if night in and night out, it's just like you, you're almost relying like, hey, don't, don't screw up. We cannot afford to screw up. And if you screw up once and then it just it like builds on you a little bit and then you kind of just take it with you into every game, every practice, that sort of deal. And, you know, at this point, the, the Ducks are going to lose games. They're, they're not, not going to run run a clinic the rest of the way. So at, not going to pull a point, St. Louis Blues in <laughs> yeah. from, from worst to yeah. first. Yeah, I don't. I think we're getting a new coach and a, a brand new rookie goalie who's all of a sudden going to light it up. So, uh, you know, at, at this point, you know, w- what harm is it doing to have him down there learning, play it right? Let's do this. If you can excel at this, then you're you're ready for that next step. Come next season, it's not a good situation to come in right now and get bad tendencies and get frustrated. It's just it, it, you're young enough. You got enough. Ahead of you, you'll have plenty of NHL games. Let's not rush into this right now. And defense would take a little bit longer anyways. Are you sure the Ducks aren't a Gerard Gallant and Anthony uh-huh. Anthony Stolarz away from winning a Stanley Cup? You're telling me there's no chance that Gerard uh, Gallant and Anthony the, Stolarz can I, lead I'm, us to I the promised land? Torn, oh, I am torn <laughs> on this because I would I would really like to see what Gallant could do. Uh it would just be mostly awkward to say, "Hey, Dallas, ah, yeah, that hot chick just came in, and uh, you know, I'm re- I know I committed to you, but you know, she's 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 looking really good right now. So I, I'm, I'm going to just ask you to kind of move out while while I bring her in. <laughs> it just it just it, it reeks of just, uh, and I don't think the Ducks are going to do that. And I think Bob Murray's." Uh, made that commitment to Eakins, like, listen, this season's not going to be the season, but we're going to build, and we're going to build with the guys that you were doing well in down there. Uh, I don't think – look at any coach that's come in. Like, all the coaches that have been replaced, uh, no team is really killing it. I think DeBoer has done all right, but I don't think he that's even said he's – like, Yeah, yeah and, he's, and he literally said, I, I, I didn't do anything. I just showed up, and they knew what to do. So. Yeah. Play, <laughs> he pretty Ottawa, much said it. They played Ottawa, and, and, and I'm not sure who else they played, but it's not like they had some super tough competition. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and honestly, like I can get it. I can get the interest in Gerard Gallant, like what he's done I, with the Vegas Golden Knights for sure, and even what he did with Florida, Florida beforehand. Yeah. Like, Is there anyone who's been, who's been dismissed so – so disrespectfully over the last two like i mean the other one he had to like catch a cab and get out of carolina because his team was going to go play somewhere else and he had to leave because he's off the team and then this one is like oh hey you're in a playoff spot but you're out you're two points we're gonna go (laughs) the pacific division lead and you took us to a stanley cup final in your first year year. second year you got you got gypped and the guy who gypped you uh who you call a coward but yeah we're hiring that guy (laughs) (laughs) 
I like I, I get it and I understand it, but like honestly, the disrespect of Dallas Aikens um, when <sighs> Gerard Gallant got fired was was kind of unreal because most of the people and most of where it was coming from were people who openly supported Dallas Aikens to get hired in the first place. And yeah, I I understand that Gerard Gallant wasn't available at that time, but we all knew this was not going to be a team that was going to be like super competitive this year. I mean, borderline playoff team at at the most optimistic of fan would have probably said that. So to say that Dallas Aikens should get fired for being five games under 500, seven games under 500. That's, right, that's where it stings. Yeah. yeah. That that's it's, a it's bit a, tough. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't want him fired. I just want him to move over so Gerard Gallant can come in and coach. You just need like um, an alternate timeline where you can okay. at least see what would happen <laughs> if, uh, if Gerard right, Gallant took over. We can keep you there one more season, and then uh, I, I know what's going to happen. Or, you know, just like, hey, you want to be an assistant for, like, the rest of the season, and then we can bring so this can guy in. test this out. If it doesn't work, <laughs> we'll, we'll call him a cab, and you can, <laughs> you can jump back I mean, in. I feel like that's what everyone wants because, like, no one no one really just wants to see Dallas Aikens leave because uh, – I don't think anyone's like really like blaming all of this on him, but it was just like, oh, could really use that Gallant magic right now. That that'd be sweet. But <laughs> if, if it is in a different position where they were maybe supposed to be better this year, I could there was see still it. Randy Carlisle or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, yeah, out. even that. Like, but uh, I just. You just hired this guy. He's been around yeah. the organization with the goals for a long time now, and it would be such a harsh fire to, yeah. to you, get rid of him at this point. You hitched your wagon to that horse, and you, you stick with it too. So, I mean, if you, you make a commitment to them, I mean, and especially Dallas Eakins, I mean, that would just be such a raw deal, um, just yeah. what he had to go through with Edmonton, what he had to do to work his way back up to where he is, and, you know, and even getting into this situation, it, it's it'd be – you'd be – giant douche to just say peace you know so someone slow you know someone a little bit better came along and uh we were just uh everything we told you is a lie so get out <laughs> i just it's just that's uh, a bad feeling bad tasting your mouth so whatever team I, gets gerard gallant's gonna be happy you would yeah. have to think I, I don't know who it's gonna be and he'll probably take his time and and pick a situation that works for him and his family. He's got to put in that clause there i cannot be disrespected while fired <laughs> if you're nashville right now like how how disappointed are you that you made that decision like it's so fast after, <laughs> and you you got John Hines, and you could have had Gerard Gallant? Like I feel like if Gerard Gallant was available, Nashville probably would have picked him up right away. Like that's the perfect situation I think for him to go into if you're thinking where could he turn a team around that was supposed to be better than they are, and yeah. make a push for a Stanley Cup. Nashville is probably that team that he yeah. could have gone to and 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 turn things around. Like if you look at like maybe the other teams that are right around that area that could fire a coach and, and bring him in. There, there really aren't any. Like, Toronto already did that. Philly's not going to do that. You would have to think, you know, maybe maybe Montreal, but I don't think they're good enough. And, and then in the West, like, Winnipeg's not going to fire their coach. And, and then, you know, Nashville really just kind of is that team where we thought they would be better. They probably have a better roster than the, the position that they're at, 11th in the West. And... uh you know, he if he had a went there, I think I think that would have been the best opportunity for him to succeed. Maybe maybe he goes and, and switches places and goes to San Jose. I don't even know. Uh, That's what I was saying. Like well, if, he, if he really Jose? wants to stick it to management over there, the GM, just like oh, I'm going to San Jose, and then I'll beat you guys. <laughs> who is in San Jose? I don't remember who replaced Pete DeBoer. 
I, I do not recall either. That was Nor early, do I. early early on in the year, so they, they got Yeah. Well, it's, it's been like seven coaches or something twice. that have been fired, yeah, right, this season? Seven, which is nuts. I'm never, That's I don't insane. think I've seen that, that type of turnover a third before. of the coaches, like, no. Halfway through the season. Like, I think, you know, at, at this I point see. we're getting close to – to the point where no, I don't see many other coaches getting fired. Like before the deadline, you, I I can't see like I, maybe one more. But after Calgary. that, I, I could I, I couldn't. You no, know, Calgary I, coach got they fired. Already got rid of, they already got rid of them. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like it's it's literally like a quarter of the league has, has fired yeah. their coaches this year. Which is you got a one in three chance at naming a team, and that coach has been fired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's let's get back to a couple notes from these games. Uh, Derek Grant returned. In the game against Nashville, picked up a shorthand. Elite goal. center number one, Grant. I mean, he he is the probably the Ducks' most dangerous shorthanded threat. Uh, we haven't seen a, a guy be that dangerous on the penalty kill since maybe Andrew Cogliano. I know I know Derek Grant isn't as fast, but he always <laughs> seems to find his way in that position. And in this case, he gets a breakaway, yeah. makes a nice nice yeah. move to just kind of sauce it backhand uh, through Sorrow's legs. Um, you know, overall effort in this game, I think it was a great effort from the Ducks. The two goals that went in on John Gibson were tough. Uh, an Arvidsson deflection from a point shot by Yossi, uh, and then just a, a seeing eye shot that just just got underneath the bar by Mikel Grandlin. Right. Like not not too much could be could do one. I mean, definitely the deflection. There's nothing you can do, and, and that shot by Grandlin had to be perfect to beat him over the shoulder there. So. <laughs> You know, great goaltending, which is what we're hoping to see from John Gibson for the rest yeah. of the year, and, and an overall, you know, team effort. You get a shorty, you get a power play goal, you get a couple goals five on five, you get a goal from a defenseman and Josh Manson. So, you you kind of take that and, and run, and they had they head into this game against the Hurricanes, and, and you know, back to backs are always tough. Ryan Miller gets the start, back to back for both game uh, both teams, but the Hurricanes at home. And the Ducks played a great game, probably a better game than they did in Nashville. They outpossessed the Hurricanes, which is a tough thing to do. They are one of the better yeah. possession teams in the league. They outshot them 37-26. to 26. Really never in doubt, that, and, and other than the fact that James Reimer just had a great game. Like He, he yeah. just wasn't excellent, but he made 36 saves in this one, or I guess 30-35 because <laughs> the OT winner by Sam Steele. But an impressive second game of a back-to-back outing, which is something we haven't been able to say for the Ducks in a while. Yeah, and another uh, deflection goal to start uh, against uh, Miller. So, was he? If you look at like the three goals that the Ducks have given up in the last two games, uh, literally, just there's not much that you're going to do to be able to defend that in any way that's going to you know change the outcome. And there's no way a goaltender is going to be able. You just hope it hits you at that point if you get a deflection like that. So at that point, I mean. That sound defense, and they one thing they've been missing all season is the offense to kind of back it up. So um, you know, even Brunson scoring goals at this one. <laughs> Josh Manson gets one. Gabrunson, oh really? Okay, Brunson, all right. Here he had to have scored that one because oh. that play by Ryan Getzlaff to not only beat out. I don't know if it was going to be an icing, but he like his forecheck. And his his commitment on that play to to get yeah. down there, get to the puck first, then to fight off a guy, wrap it around the boards, and then just send this like no look bullet pass across yeah. to Good Branson, who's pinching up on the play. Like you you have to score that one. If you don't score that one, you get chewed yeah. out. In the yeah, long I don't I don't care that you're like a you know a stay at home defenseman. Like you have to score yeah. that one. And he completely fools James Reimer. I mean, like I I I don't blame Reimer because. When you got a guy like Good Branson coming in on you, you don't have a book on this guy. Like you don't have, you have no idea what this guy is gonna do. 
and he probably thinks he's gonna go high or he's gonna you know shoot it into the yeah. chest or something and it's literally just like a it doesn't even come off the ice it, it's just a straight yeah. shot five hole on the ice and he just had no idea like that was the last thing you could <laughs> see that Reimer was thinking was was gonna come at him yeah as a goalie I, I watched that shot and and how Reimer reacted the thing was is like Gabrunzi got so wide open and it's so much time and at that point as a goalie you're like all right I'm in position and like all right, where's this guy going with it? But he's still kind of moving, so you're you're almost you can't quite get fully set. And then, and then when it's a, a Gabrunson like shooter, uh, no super disrespect there, but it's you know not an elite shooter. Yeah. Uh, and then they shoot it, and it just stays on the ground. And you're like, really? It's just like the second it releases, and you see it's not going anywhere besides the ice, and you're mid like shuffle or something. You're just like, I'm screwed. I'm screwed unless I just click my heels and something magical happens. And sure enough, he tries it. It still goes in. He rolls over, and you can just tell. I just felt I'm like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've been there. It's just yeah, when it's not a good shooter and uh, they get that wide open, you're kind of guessing. You're just using yeah. what you're used to, and when that happens, you're just like, oh, it's, oh I feel that's like, embarrassing. I, mean, I don't, I don't know, obviously, <laughs> but I feel like it's got to be almost as hard as is coming in and having a book on a guy. Like you have a book on a, a usually on a very good player, so you have an idea of what their tendencies are, but then you're also kind of second guessing yourself because they could make the move or you know if 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 Silverberg or Raquel comes in on James Reimer there, you kind of have an idea of what these guys might do, but they have other, you know, they're so creative and they have other weapons in their arsenal, they could go backhand, they could beat you high high glove, they could know try and make a move and go five hole and then you've got a guy like good branson you don't know the release it's kind of difficult to read the release because you probably haven't seen too many shots from this guy you've got a guy that you have like again has three or four goals on the season he's a defenseman you don't really know what he's going to do so you just again in both cases you're kind of guessing but i feel like like it's got to be almost just as hard as, as having a guy like that you have no idea what he's going to do versus a guy you see a lot and the skill level is obviously higher if, if that was Raquel or Silverberg going in there, I think Reimer has a better understanding of what's about to happen than he did with Gabrunson. And and that just means if, if literally Gabrunson got it and Gabrunson showed shot. So the whole way Reimer knows it's it should be a shot. This should should go somewhere. And and he messes up. Now if it's um now if it's Raquel or Silverberg and they get it and they show shoot same way he did and it, they don't look like they're gonna make a, a deke to the middle or anything like that, it's gonna be a shot, you know it's gonna go into lower, you know, like this half. Like somewhere where your arms or block or your chest can get into it. Uh, very rarely are they going to be in that position and then flub a shot that never leaves the ice and just goes five hole on you. So in in that one instance, I would say it's even more difficult with a guy who doesn't have the skill or you don't have a book on where it's like, uh, oh, you can just kind of tell like the quicker guys, they're going to look up high. They're going to try and get it over your pads. They're going to do something else. They're not going to do a slow shot five hole. <laughs> it just <laughs> hits a few things and then happens to get in. So. It's rough, but every every shot's a little bit different. Every uh, situation's a little bit different. So sometimes it's it's even more difficult with a, a horrible shooter. Yep, and and then the, so this game ends up going to OT, and uh, Sam Steele ends up being the OT hero in this one. Uh, Silverberg and Lindholm force a turnover. They feed Sam Steele for the breakaway. He pulls off kind of the the Silverberg type move. We've seen Silverberg kind of patent on these types yeah. of breakaways where it doesn't necessarily fake. 
a, a backhand or a deke or anything. He just calls his bluff. He, he kind of shows mm-hmm. shot, and, and then he wait, outweights the goalie, waits till he's got enough uh, enough space to make the shot, and then just kind of floats it over a blocker side into into the net. And we've seen Silverberg do that so often. What, what's kind of more impressive what Silverberg doing is generally he's doing it at glove side on a goaltender, yeah. and, and, and Steele's kind of got that left shot where he can go over blocker. But nice to see yeah. him get on the board. Nice to see the Ducks actually win a game. In, in OT two back to back games, yeah, and obviously, like we said, first first back to back win since November first. As much as we're kind of on board with, you know, we want the Ducks to get a high pick. It, it does feel nice to have two wins going into the break. That's why I can never never get full on board with a tank. And when everyone says, "Oh, tank," or you know, "Oh, this draft's going to be so great, and we can get so many," it's like, yeah, that's fine. And if we get it, awesome. But I don't want to see my team not try, not pull out wins. If they can pull out wins, and it, it you know, at the end of the the season, it turns out that they were the bottom five in teams, and they get a bottom five pick. Fine. I just I don't want to see the the lack of effort for it or a full tank. You know, just eh, who cares? Just don't try. Just let's tank and get a high draft pick. It's like. Just try. All, all any fans want is just try. Make it, you know, give us your all. And if you get some wins, great. And ultimately, if you're not that good of a team, you'll you'll find your way to the bottom anyways. So, yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention beforehand, uh, before both of these games, come to one, Lindstrom got sent down to San Diego. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was probably a good move. Uh, not that they were playing necessarily bad, but both of them, you could kind of feel that they needed some some more time in the AHL. This is for both of them. This is their first season in general. They're both rookies this year. Played a very minimal amount of time with the Ducks. Uh come to us played just under 30 games this year. I believe Lindstrom's played 30 games in his entire NHL career now. So, these are guys that could use some more seasoning. And then of course, after these two games, uh Jones, Sprong, and DeLeo were all sent down. Um, I felt like those were more Moves because Get them the Ducks, to play. yeah, I'm yeah, and, and, for a while. and that's something I completely forgot when I when I tweeted out before. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Then I was like, oh wait, the Ducks are on a like seven day break, so yeah. it, it makes sense. Play. Yeah, it makes sense to send these guys that are waiver exempt down to get some playing time, and and obviously you know Jones and Sprong are guys you would you would expect to potentially be back up uh, after after this break ends because Sprong was playing on on the top line with Getzlaff and Raquel and was looking pretty decent and and that Steel Kasha and Jones line was actually starting to do some good things in both of those games so I I would expect both of them back up but I would I would think with Richie likely coming back the Leo probably stays down and, and come to on Lindstrom I think are down there. Until somebody is injured, or until you know they show that they're ready to come back up. Yeah, and then they need it. They're, you know, and it's not really a slight when I say this. It's just a little over their, you know, over their head right now. Like uh, they, they just they're, they're not quite at that level, and they they need a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more time. They they come in and they're a little bit in over their head, and then they can't quite catch up to what's going on right now. Uh, you know, at that NHL level, and that takes time. And it's like I said, it's it's tough because everyone just has that expectation of, oh, these guys are so highly touted. We drafted them high. 
these guys should really jump in. Not everyone's going to be a Pedersen. No one's going to be, you know, Connor McDavid or whoever else just jumps in all of a sudden has success. That's so few and far in between. So sometimes I think we put a little bit too much of that expectation. And especially with this season when we knew we we're going to have a lot of younger players in that everyone was kind of maybe expecting to kind of chip in and do a little bit more. But on average, that doesn't happen. It takes a little bit more time in the AHL. So I think it's a good spot for them to stay right now. For the exact same reasons. I mean, if they were contributing yeah. heavily and this team is all of a sudden like beyond a fringe playoff team, then maybe you keep them. But at this point, what's the point of keeping them up? Well, we spent the, the last podcast heavily talking about trades. And uh, as much as I hate these types of rumors <laughs> and these types of sources, it, it provides some good uh, good talking points and good topics on the show here. So. I'm sure, I don't know if you, you guys may have never heard of this guy's name. If you have, you probably know the reason why I'm not too uh, too high on, on this possible rumor. But Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey now, the, the guy who infamous, infamously, I think two or three years ago, said that the, the Ducks were on the verge of trading Hampus Lindholm. <laughs> so, and I Wasn't there, point. was that the same, there was some dude that said like, dude, this is your like your last chance to call it right. Oh, oh that, was that was a different guy. That was different that was, guy. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. That was definitely a different guy. It was like a, another Michael Walters on on Twitter or something. <laughs> okay. Not so. That was it. But yeah, I believe Jimmy Murphy is the guy a few seasons ago who called Lindholm being traded, which he, he said he would like basically bet his house on it, and that didn't end up happening. And people got on <laughs> him, but he's like, "Well, like I can't, I can't predict everything's happening." And it was a whole, it was a huge thing. But anyway, he he has said that the Ducks and the Bruins, who we've heard before this year, are are heavily scouting each other. And again, all all that stuff kind of gets blown over the closer you get to the trade deadline. Is who's scouting who, and and none of it really ever means anything. Uh, but he also mentions that Dave Nonis, who's kind of the, I don't know how to explain it, but he he's kind of the main guy right now for like road scouting for the Ducks. Uh, they had put it. In their article. NHL scouting, is he like yeah. NHL, like head NHL scout? He's the something? special assignment scout for the Ducks, hmm. so he gets sent specifically. He's like a secret agent for, man, yeah. Special assignments. I, I feel like it's just a job to <laughs> given to him because at one point he was like consultant to the GM or something, right? Like he was just a guy that kind of stuck around. Now he's a special. Like Jafar was to the Sultan. Yeah, it's pretty much that. And he he is now a special royal advisor, scout, apparently, and uh, he's been seen routinely at Bruins games, which is also prefaced with the fact that he lives near that area. So that almost probably means nothing. Maybe he wants to watch good hockey. Who knows? But he has also <laughs> apparently been to some of these games along with other members of the Ducks hockey operations department, which. Again, could be nothing, but is at least an interesting topic to, to kind of talk about. And, you know, the, apparently the, the Bruins have interest in Raquel and Kasha because of their contracts, which I'm sure multiple teams, not just the Boston Bruins do, especially teams like the Bruins who are up against the cap. Uh, and also the fact that the Ducks are willing to take on salary, and that's been kind of broadcast by Bob Murray over the last week or so. That uh, And they just sent down Bacchus, so they're still yeah, kind of on the hook with some of this. Too. That was mentioned, too, how Bacchus getting sent down gives them a bit of cap relief and and looks, you know, maybe prefaces the fact that they are trying to make a move. 
Maybe there's a fit there. I I could see it. I mean, this is one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, probably a team who's willing to give up a first-round pick. They've done it before. I was sure they would do it again if it was to bring in a player like that. You'd have to think if it was one of Raquel or Kasha, it'd warrant a lot more than just a first-round pick, especially Ricard Raquel. Um, You know, late first is basically, you know, a second-round pick at this point, and you know, I would love the yeah, Ducks yeah. to get another first, but you would have to hope they would bring in more than, than Ricard Raquel. And then you get in one of those tricky positions where teams who like Boston have been good for so long, their prospect pool isn't necessarily great. So yeah. you're, you're kind of going, I think their their top prospect right now, depending on, on who you ask, is is probably uh, Jack Stanika in the AHL. And he's predicted as like a third-line center, maybe, maybe high-end. Uh, of, of if he hits his ceiling a second line center which is kind of what the ducks have in, in sam Steele right now so if that's their top prospect you're, you're looking down the list there and saying well there's not too much to pick from and, and boston's and he, flaky too like like boston management like they'll sometimes just we'll trade a guy because we don't like him they did that with sagan yeah uh, just because they did just because they didn't like him they didn't like his attitude and so I'm wondering, like, I mean, from a Ducks perspective, if you're giving up a Silverberg or Raquel, not only would you want their first, but, I mean, there's a possibility you get a McAvoy, a Krug, some something in there where they don't all of a sudden feel like that person is going to really fit in their culture, as Pat yeah. Pat loves to hear. <laughs> uh, we talked know, about I mean, McAvoy um, a few podcasts ago yeah. as a possibility. And we got it was a little, it was a little rough at that point to, to consider it, and I, I still don't think Boston would, but Krug they might might be willing to kind of part with. It just depends if that's kind of what the Ducks, Ducks were really looking for, because I, I, I think, in my opinion, the Ducks are looking for, you know, a top four defenseman and they had, they don't really have it and they're they're using a Brunson at this point but that I don't feel is going to last forever so yeah and, and it could be one of two things it could be both it could it could be the Ducks are willing to take on a big salary from the Bruins so the Bruins can go look elsewhere to bring yeah. in a player or it could be you know they're making a deal without bringing on salary they're just trying to trade a guy who has a lower cap hit in Andre Cash or Ricard Raquel and just get assets or it could be a mix of both where they're taking on salary and also giving up one of those players to get a bigger pool of assets it could be any one of those it so could be nothing crazy. but it, it is interesting to see cuz I, I think there could be a fit there i definitely think there could be an eastern conference team you're you're more maybe willing to give up a player like Ricard Raquel or Andre Cash or Jakob Silverberg to a team you like don't see him that Warriors. often yeah, you don't see them that often. They can't, they can't hurt you too much. Yeah, and in the future, if it ever came into a playoffs, you wouldn't see them until the Stanley Cup final. So it, they're, they're, the odds are low that it would really have a blowback on the Ducks. It all just depends on what you get. And, and I think any of those, it starts with getting that late first-round pick and, and having another one in, in what's supposed to be a deep draft. Um, the, the Bruins have some interesting, albeit not great, right-handed shot prospects that you could at least add to the system. Guys who maybe have an outside shot at the NHL or guys who could be a 5 or 6, 4 on, on the on the high side in, in Axel Anderson and Victor Berglund. Like, there's a chance there. They're both Swedish. There's a connection there. Like, you, you can start, you can start <laughs> pushing you, these you're things. You're pulling here. You're pulling. Yeah. You can start pushing these things to make sense, and and they start to make maybe more sense than than they do. Um, you know, I could go through a list of all all twenty nine other teams and and kind of make a case. It's of, fine, something, yeah. Of a, yeah. Of a way a trade would work for thirty the Ducks, teams. So. There are thirty other teams besides the Ducks, sir. 
But uh, it, it it definitely is interesting, at least a little bit, that you know Nonus has been here routinely, and he's been there with other um, hockey operations uh, department from the Ducks or Duck staff in the hockey operations department. This has kind of been a rumor that's been going around all season that the Ducks and Bruins have at least had interest and have been scouting each other. So maybe we see something happen. Uh, it, it would be nice to see the Ducks, like I said, pick up some young assets and another first-round pick. It just all depends on what they have to give up. You know, I, I yeah. don't know personally if I'm ready to give up on a player like Ricard Raquel or Andre Kasha. I think, you know, Silverberg. I'd be willing to, but then if you're the Bruins, you can't do that without giving salary back. So there's a lot of moving parts to try and get something done. <laughs> I'm so confused why you're so so willing to move Silverberg and so hesitant on Kasha. I would absolutely... I'm not necessarily hesitant on Kasha. It's more Silverberg uh, than Raquel. Yeah, and I would say that too, but I would also say Silverberg, I'm more hesitant. Um, Kasha, I feel, once again... It, he hasn't been injured you know, as much this year. You know, it hasn't been concussions. And that was my biggest fear going into this season is like, if we, if we, can, if we can offload this guy and get something, because I feel like this guy is just, just one quick rush up against the boards away from just a career ending hit. You know, it's just, I'm more, more apt to want to move him just out of fear of, of injury. And at this point, he isn't really produced. So I guess his you know, value is a little bit lower. But I just I hesitate to move Silverberg because I've always thought he's had that offensive ability and it's been stifled by him having to play more of a shutdown role. So I'm always hesitant to get rid of Silverberg. Raquel, I'm still waiting for that little thing to click in him too. And uh, I think Kosh is probably the the easiest one for me to want to get rid of. And I think we could still get a decent return on him because he's so, he's such a, uh, um, we call it the advanced stats darling. So, yeah, that's the thing for me is if you can get something good for Andre Kasher, sure. But I, I feel like most likely you're selling low on Andre Kasher and, and there's still that chance that he turns this, this around maybe this year or next year or the year after that where he's still young enough that you'll be able to get assets for him at a higher level if you want to trade him or he could be a valuable piece to this team i feel like he's more of a a project that you can wait on and and try and see if you can get back to that point and then maybe the value goes up if you do want to trade him i i would just be wary of selling low on a player like andre kasha because there is that that chance that it blows back in your face in a big way, because if he does become the player we think he could be, and some people do think he could be in a 25-30 goal score, and you don't get that value back in return, that's a huge loss for the Ducks. They can't afford to sell low right now. And, yeah. and the reason I'm you know, more, up to, more apt to selling Jakob Silverberg now is because his value is probably never going to be, high, be higher than it is now. And he's 29, and you know the chances of him being this valuable and this effective down the road for a team, even if the Ducks are competitive, is less likely. You know, when he gets to 32 and 33 and 34 near the end of his contract, that's going to be tough for him to be this effective, especially the way he plays the game. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I could definitely be wrong, but that, that's why I'm a bit more open to selling Jakob Silverberg than I am Andre Kasha. Well, you're wrong, but next topic. <laughs> well, next topic we have because it, it has, you know, other than the games, it, it's kind of been um, – a slow week in, in Ducks news. And I know it's only been four days 
since the last podcast. But uh, in, in terms of running topics, we have that's pretty much it. But we do have some fan questions that we have to get to. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump in those here. Uh, David Roska on Instagram said, "Who should the Ducks get in a trade?" A little little vague because oh, well, that was it. That was the whole question. That's it. That's it. So, <laughs> um, I mean, in in a perfect world, everybody knows oh, the player. Well, uh, yes, sure. Yeah, yeah, but, David, I mean, yeah, yeah. The player, the one of the players I've always wanted on this team is Thomas Tatar, and yeah. um, but it's it's just right now the Ducks aren't in a position to to give up assets and picks for a player that's basically Jakob Silverberg in terms of age and production wise. And obviously Tatar has been a lot better this year. He's I think over yeah. 40 points, almost a point per game, but you, you're just not in the position to go out and acquire a player like that and give up young prospects or young assets or picks to where the ducks are in the draft right now or where they are in the standings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where, where they're at, they're, they're not a team that's going to be bringing on a good talent. Um, they're, they're looking to move assets at best and then bring in prospects. You know, it's a, there's no one they're going to go out and grab. I mean, yeah. the, the only reason you it's go out so and grab. Who, who should they trade instead of who should they get in a trade? Yeah. Like who, who should they trade to get picks and prospects? Cause right now, the Ducks shouldn't be looking to add players. They should be looking yeah. to sell players. Yeah. And I'm not saying sell the farm or anything like that, but, you know, one or two players that that maybe are fringe or, you know, the management has kind of decided is like, all right, we're just not going to move forward with this guy. Like, we, we've had enough. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's not there. And so we're we're sour on it. We'll move it to the side. That sort of deal. So yeah, they're not going to bring anyone. They never do anyway. So whoever they trade for is never, you know, a game breaker. It's you know, oh, um, who can we buy for a million dollars or trade, you know, a seventh round pick for something? Oh, well, we got you, somebody. That's pretty <laughs> uh, much what they do. All right, Shredden37 uh, has got an NHL question for us. He said, will Ovechkin be able to break Gretzky's career goal-scoring record? Just so everybody knows where it stands right now. Uh, After this weekend? (laughs) Yeah, Gretzky's at 894, which is 93 more than Gordie Howe for the lead of all time. Ovi jumped into the top 10, leapfrogged Mario Lemieux. For six ninety two, he's in a, yeah in a tie with Eiserman and two behind Mark Messier for number eight. Does he get past eight ninety four? And Ovi, how old is Ovi now? He's thirty thirty four, thirty four, thirty five, somewhere in there. Uh, my my easy answer, yes. Uh, this guy will this guy will definitely be number two. Um, there's no doubt in my mind because he's this close to seven hundred. And literally, he's he's this old, and he's still putting up hat tricks after hat tricks. Um, and you know, put Steve's putting up like forty or fifty goals every season. Put put thirty, and do it for like another five years. It's one hundred and fifty goals from where he's at, and he's almost at seven hundred. That's eight fifty. I, I, you know, and I, I'm lowballing. Just hey, do thirty for five years because I know he'll probably play for another five years. Yeah, you know, well, and he's injury, more, more and he's forty in one year, right? fifty in another year. I mean, it, it just kind of keeps building on itself. So, 
I know he wants to do it, and at this point, he's pretty much done everything else he needs to do. He's won the Stanley Cup. Uh, he's obviously the I, I'd gotta say the most lethal goal scorer ever. No one, no one can score like he has. Now McDavid might at some point become that lethal goal scorer, but I mean, he's just he's an overall just amazing talent, but. Ovechkin just scores goals, and he's done it in bad eras for goal scoring, and he's done it in great eras. He just—it doesn't matter. He's done it old. He's done it young. He's done it middle age. It just—the dude's a beast. There's, there's almost no way he doesn't get. There's no way he doesn't get second, in my opinion, barring injury. And I can easily see him going over 900 goals in his career. I. I think 900, you can do that. 900, it, it's tough because you don't want to bet against Ovi. The fact, you know, he's 34. He'll be <laughs> Everyone else has. Yeah, he'll be 35 to start next next season, and he'll have he should have over 700 goals at that point. Only needs eight more this year to hit it. He'll probably get about 15 15 more goals to finish this year and, and finish the season around close to 50, 45 to 50, which is insane Insanity. for a guy in his age. Um, <laughs> you laughed when you said it. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's just say he hits that 15. So then he's at, what, 707? So he, he's, you know, about 190 back. Uh, of, two or three seasons away from being Gretzky, second all yeah. time. And, and we'll say, you know, if he plays five more seasons, which would, his last season would be his 39-year-old season, which would be mean at the end of that year he would be, 40 in that year September if yeah. he if he hit 30 every year he'd have 150 so he would fall just a bit short I think no no he would he would no he'd fall a bit short he'd be 850 so he'd be about 40 back but you gotta give Ovi credit I mean next year could he hit 40 45 50 probably the year after that the next two years I think I would say he could probably still hit 40 to 50 because just because of, of he it's hasn't really shown any signs of slowing down and they signed Kuznetsov as a is setup guy. They still got Carlson who sets Backstrom's him up on the power there. play. Backstrom will be there presumably for the rest of Ovi's career Backstrom, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kuznetsov again. Kuznetsov's actually been the guy who's been playing with on five on five with Ovechkin, and they found Tom Wilson. Chemistry he's, as well. he's helping out. He does there's there's a chance. I, I think it's it's going to be really hard. I just know. I just know. The closer we get to it, like if we get to that that eight hundred and eighties, like there's got to be a, a suicide watch for Don Cherry. I mean, yeah. if he's still alive, like what I mean, someone's got to someone's got to be around him at all times. <laughs> what if he finishes with eight eighty eight? Like, is that still satisfying for you because it's number eight? Uh, oh yeah, like your OCD. Now, I it still bothers me to this day that Gretzky couldn't play one more season, get six more goals, and just hit nine hundred. It's like yeah, eight ninety four. Yeah. You stopped. You could have got six more. <laughs> if if he does it, if uh, if Ovi beats it, it's it's in less games. I think then. Well, maybe not. No, no probably not say, less games. I was going to say it's in less games than, than Gretzky, but it's close. I mean, he's 350 games back of Gretzky in what, what's that, uh, four and a half seasons? Like, he'd be close because we're saying he plays five more five more full 82-game seasons. Like, he would almost do it in the same amount of games played as Gretzky, which is unreal, Like, which yeah. is just unheard of. I mean, the only guy, the only couple guys to have more goals per game uh, than Gretzky Ovi or Lemieux and, and Bossy and maybe a few other guys. But, now, as uh, a Canadian, how would you feel having a Russian be the all-time goal scorer? I'd be fine with it. I, I, feel, I mean, I, I hope Ovi does it, honestly. Um, I, I kind of do, too. We, we all know. I, I was... <laughs> Go ahead. 
Now, as we all know, probably uh, over a, a full healthy career of you know all time, if Mario Lemieux played as many games as Gretzky, he'd probably be 950, maybe 1,000 goals at the rate that Mario Lemieux was scoring goals at. Maybe we wouldn't be talking about this. But n- nonetheless, it doesn't defeat the, you know, the fact that Ovi could do it. Like The fact we're even talking that he could beat 894. That was almost inconceivable, like just... Like uh, like three three or four years ago, it's like it, as great as Ovechkin is, he'll slow down. Everyone slows down, and this game's getting too fast for everybody. No, no one thought like eight ninety four was ever attainable. Like it was just insane to even think about it. If he finishes, let's say after five fun. years, he fin- he beats it. He's at eight ninety eight to end his thirty nine year old season. He has to come back. <laughs> I'm saying eight ninety. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, 897, whatever, 898, 897, 896, whatever. He beats it, but he's that short of night. Like, he has, I feel like, like, knowing Ovi, he would have to come back to beat me. I know, just saying, I'll play five minutes a game, put me on every power play, and I'll just just sit there and just take slap shots one time, and eventually I'll get six or five or however. I did say if he beats it, he would retire, but I feel like he could not pass up on getting to 900. 900. Well, he'd have to. My OCC would really applaud him not (laughs) retiring. A 40-year-old Ovi could score five goals in a season. The thing is, I don't care if he hits, like, 903. It's like, ah, at least you hit 900. That's all I care about. You hit 900, and then that's it. And retire, then you're, you're good to go. I mean, only two I don't guys care. I don't are... care where you are at that point. It's just as long as you hit that. I mean, he, you know, he will at least finish second. Like, I, there's no way. I, I think he doesn't catch Gordy Howe unless he gets injured. Because Gordy Howe's at eight oh one. Like, he just has to get, you know, one hundred nine goals. Two more, yeah. Two two forty goal seasons uh, on top of what he did this year. Yeah, think yeah, of what he adds on this year. Like, if Ovi in two seasons, Ovi could could get one hundred nine goals after this yeah. year. Like. You know, if he finishes with the 15 this year, Obi just has to have two 45 goal seasons or 46 goal seasons back to back, and he would pass Gordy Howe. Like that's likely that's going exactly. to happen. If he doesn't do it in two seasons, you know he'll do it in three seasons. I think all it comes down to for Obi is health at this point. You know, he's getting older. He he's got to stay healthy. Slowing can't down at all, though, dude. No, just can't <laughs> have the in the face of the stick. He's he's knocking out uh, Sveshnikov with the uh, rights. Uh, and then, uh, and then he's just pounding goals in the net every time. He's well, a dude's a maniac. I love him. <laughs> we all hope he does it. Another question from Shredden. Uh, he said, "Who's your favorite underrated former Duck from the last decade?" He said, "His is Daniel Winnick." Uh, yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I always like. Uh, let's see, underrated. So, I mean, are we going, like, fourth liners or just, like... Just, like, underrated. I, I mean, one guy... In the last was, decade, was, he said? Yeah, like, one guy I wanted to say, but it's not really the last decade. It was, it was Andy McDonald. So I, feel like I was going to say that, too. credit, yeah, like, for what, what he did. But if it's in the last decade, that's tough. Like, I, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, David Winnick's a good pick, honestly. Like, Winnick was good when he was here, and he was valuable piece for, for what the Ducks were putting together. Yeah, I would say that. I'd, I'd also say uh, he didn't spend enough time here, but uh, Chris Wagner, I always, I always liked yeah. his style, uh, but I don't think he did enough with the Ducks or wasn't here long enough for the Ducks. Um, I wanted to say Paul Mary, but that's just based off what he's done with New Jersey, not what he did with the Ducks. Like that, that wouldn't be fair to kind of put him in that, uh, in that category. I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, 
Yeah, because, I mean, at that point, we're talking about third and fourth line guys, so I'd really have to, th- I'd really have to think about it a little bit more. But, uh, yeah. It's a tough question. Like, it honestly is a tough question because I, yeah, the yeah, first yeah, name that came to mind it. was Andy McDonald. Like, that was the first, that was the first mine name too. that came yeah. to mind. One that- and... Like even even other guys like maybe maybe Cogs so maybe but like people that was the other thing I was thinking too but like he was like second line shut down he wasn't really like unsung it's like everyone kind of knew what he did he just you know he didn't really put up goals or anything but he he had his own little thing so that's why I think it's like a third or fourth line guy and I was like ah, I'm trying to think of third or fourth line guy last decade that was amazing and then like defensively Penner, but Penner was even before the, like, before. Yeah, then I would Bobby say Dupre. Ryan, I would say really Dupre, say, but then you, you say know, Bobby he... Ryan. Like, I feel like like four back to back or four straight thirty goal seasons. Like, it, but he wasn't underrated when he was here. It's just mm-hmm. now because he he's kind of fallen off a cliff with Ottawa that yeah you, you don't really think of it. That's a toughie. I don't know. Tough I'll think about it. Tom, we'll get back to. Him. Well, we should, yeah, we should definitely do some more research and have that. But if it's all time, it's it's Andy McDonald for me. That's yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was thinking too. So okay, well, this was we had. I thought we had another question, but it's literally some guy <laughs> called the Turf Guy, and he said, "If your yard isn't turf, you need to check out our page today." <laughs> well, what about Dave? Dave had one on Twitter. Yeah, there was there was some on Twitter, but I was just reading through Instagram. So yeah. that was a free ad read for the Turf Guy. So oh, good. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, hmm. All right. Uh, on Twitter, Dave. No, no, that's not one. He said, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> that was the second. <laughs> His uh, second one, though, is even with how well Terry and Comto have been playing in San Diego, do you think the Ducks should keep them down there and let them thrive slash gain even more confidence? Have you seen the types of goals San Diego has been scoring shot slash plays between the dots and in the house? Ducks don't do this. Uh, that last part I 100% agree with. The the Ducks, and, and there was data to back this up at the beginning of the season. We had mentioned on the podcast that the Ducks just don't attempt passes into the slot or into prime scoring areas, and they just don't get any slot shots at all. Uh, I, I'd be interested to see if that's gone up. That's not really a stat that's kind of publicly available. But, I, I, I mean, if San Diego's doing that, that's great. I mean, and obviously they have the personnel down there to do it. Um, to answer the first question, I, I think at least Comtois – Maybe Troy Terry, but I would like to see him back up at some point. But for at least for now, there, there's no harm in having them down there in San Diego. Yeah, the next like week or two or whatever. Yeah, p- playing you know, big minutes, first line minutes, pa- top power play unit down in San Diego, and, and actually putting up points and, and scoring goals and and playing well. Like there's there's nothing wrong with overproducing guys or overdeveloping guys in the AHL and then having them have that time, especially a guy like Comtois who, who's just in the midst of his first NHL season. That's that's generally a guy that you see bounce back and forth between the the AHL. And even Troy Terry has not even hit 100 games yet. Like you, yeah. that That's a guy that, again, you, you, you don't expect him to break out right away in the NHL. And, and if he's dominating the AHL, he's kind of right on the cusp of making you know that transition full-time to the NHL. So there, there's nothing wrong, personally, I think, right now with keeping them down there, letting them play well. But Troy Terry is, is one guy. He'll be back up. Yeah, I would like to at least see him at some point this year again to see if, if that can kind of transition to the NHL. Because we've seen him do this before in the AHL, yeah. so you kind of you know maybe he's not too good for it, but he's at least one of the better players down there. And, mm-hmm. and he, he almost has nothing to gain 
from staying down there long term if he's just gonna just gonna dominate down there. We've seen that with Daniel Sprong in the past. Like what what more does he have to prove in the AHL? It's just about proving yourself in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I, I think Terry will be up at some point, but you know. The rest of the guys will probably end up staying there. Like Terry's kind of that guy that we're we're waiting for him to get back from injury is essentially why he's down there and tearing it up as he is. He could yeah. be doing doing us a little bit of a favor too, and uh, might as well get more NHL experience. I think he's got nine points in five games, like two oh, goals yeah. and seven assists. It's just too good. I mean. Yeah, what's, he, what's he's obviously point? too good for it. He doesn't. He doesn't want to stay there. It's not like I was like, "Oh, I'm doing great. I'm scoring a lot of goals in the AHL. Don't call me up." No, like, he wants what, to be in the NHL. <laughs> yeah, and and that's if you if you're down there, he's doing everything right. You go yeah. down there as much as you don't want to be down there. You go down there and you show that you don't belong there, and you yeah. show that you belong in the NHL, and you you just come you just play your way back up there, and that's yeah. what you want him to do when he gets sent back down is to show that he's too good for that league and he can dominate that league and that he needs to be getting more time in the NHL. And now it's just on him that when he gets that call up to show, he can I'm obviously not dominate at the NHL level, but show at least he belongs to start putting up points uh, with the ducks as well. Uh, last question we had on Facebook and maybe the, or not Facebook on Twitter. The last question we maybe have in general is from Alec. He said, if you're the GM, which pieces are you okay with trading for picks and prospects. So if you're trading yeah. players off the Ducks roster, who are you okay trading? Yeah, we, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Like, I'm completely yeah. okay with trading uh, Kasha, uh, Brunson, I'm all right with. Um, quite honestly, Larson at this point, because I think you know, Mahura is going to be his replacement uh, for the most part. So I just... I'm willing to move those pieces around. I'm not willing to move a Gibson like some people would uh, say. I'd be okay with Ryan Miller because uh, we could probably get something back because I doubt he's going to want to stick around another season the yeah. way this one went. So, uh, you know, he'd be another one. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trading. In my opinion, I'm not trading a Silverberg, a Raquel. I'm not trading Getzloff. I'm not doing you know uh, Fowler Lindholm Manson I might be okay with trading but it really depends what we're getting and it'd be tough because if I'm trading a Manson I'd want something similar like I, I can't see moving him and then having that vacancy there's nothing to fill it and at that point you're just dooming your team for a while so yeah why do it I mean the way I answer this question is is probably not Maybe the answer he was looking for. The, yeah. to, maybe I'm not answering this the right way, but okay. um, I don't think anybody's ever untouchable. So if the right deal was to come across, and and you were getting the right you know picks or the right like this you know the right prospect or a certain high level prospect back or package of prospects that make that deal make sense, then I think anybody, honestly, like. I think you you know if you get the right deal for Cam Fowler and it makes sense for this team and you, you get all the pieces that are worth what Cam Fowler is worth right now or same for Silverberg or you know Raquel or Kasha, these are some of these guys are guys I don't want to give up, but if you got a package where you just can't say no, then you would be okay trading him. I mean you get a you know first round pick and, and a and a high end prospect and another decent prospect for you know a player like Josh Manson. Do you say no? Or you know if you get a couple first round picks for for Hampus Lindholm, again, you might be on. Uh, that's just kind of an example. But if you get a package, you can't say no. 
I would generally be open to trading anybody as long as it was worth it. You know, there's some guys I would be I would be upset, or it'd be a hard you know a hard uh, what am I trying to say? Like a hard uh, a hard yes on to get rid of mm-hmm. them. And John Gibson and, and Ricard Raquel or Hampus Lindholm, like these would be be guys I wouldn't want to trade. But I'm uh-huh. if you got the right deal, I I, I wouldn't say no. Yeah, I I don't like playing in that that fantasy world of well, oh, if I got you know if I if I gave this guy up and I got just a wealth of everything. Well, obviously you'll trade anybody if you're getting a wealth of everything. Yeah. So that's like I almost like when someone says, oh, would you you know who would you move and you know for whatever you could get, and I was like, well, no, it's like who as the the, the Ducks organization. Who am I willing? Who is not going to really help me moving after this season? I'll move that person for something. Yeah, I can move Gibby, but that dude can help me the rest yeah, of the way. Exactly. So I, I'm not looking to get rid of him. Uh, so I only deal with the, the the opportunities of people who probably are not going to continue on with me, or I have a strong feeling aren't really going to contribute many seasons past this. And in my opinion, Silverberg, Raquel, Gaslov, Gibby. Although not untouchable, I can't really see moving them because those guys can only help my organization move forward. Now, if it's if it's Kasha or it's a Richie or it's you know someone else like that, maybe I kind of go like, well, they're not necessarily going to push my thing there. So if I've got a good enough deal, I'm willing to move those people. So yeah. it's like you I, know, I think along those lines, then you know Larson, I agree with that. I think in Branson, the way he's been playing, if you can get something for him, or at least more than what you gave up at this point, and and try and get, but I think the problem is trying to get out from that, trying to convince a team to take him for four point six million dollars for next year as well. You, you might have to eat. That was a rough, rough buy. <laughs> you might have to eat, you know, half of that and and bite the bullet on that one. But if you can also get some more assets for eating half of that, then you know maybe it's worth it and, and again one that we we disagree on for sure but i think jakob silverberg is a, is a guy that i would explore because of the age and, and the length of the contract and and again where we're, we kind of differ on is is when we think the ducks are going to be competitive again and how how quickly he can be a valuable piece of a competitive team so he would be a, a guy i would kind of also look to trade and you know we, we've mentioned josh manson a bit and and there's some merit there, but then there's also the fact that he is really the only Ducks right-handed yeah, defenseman. There's, there's such are, a void if you move him. Yeah, and it's not like they have anything coming up that eventually could replace him. If they had, you know, a a, a decent right-handed shot defenseman who has a chance to be a top four defenseman in this league in, in the pipeline, then you have maybe more of a willingness to trade him. Or if you can get something like that in return for Josh Manson, maybe that trade becomes a little bit more appealing but i think if you trade josh manson you have to at least get another either nhl ready or almost nhl ready right shot defenseman in return that can kind of play right now and maybe not be as good but be close to as good or better down the road so those are kind of the guys uh, i think uh i think possibly could be moved or the ducks should explore being moved uh, in terms of what's upcoming, uh, obviously the Ducks are on their break right now. Next game is Monday, January 27th against the San Jose Sharks, and then after that is Wednesday, January 29th against the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, we have, I think, a show planned. The next, this type show, the regular podcast, is, is for, I think, for January 30th. Uh, planning on hopefully having some show get released during the break so we're not gone <laughs> 
so we're not gone for 11 days with with no show so hopefully hopefully something to break up uh that mix in in the next five or six days from now and and whether it's an interview or just kind of an update show or something like that if there's any news uh we're hoping to do that and and then uh you also have the watch party watch party on february 1st right so why don't you tell them a bit more about that because Yeah, so it'll be a watch party over at, uh, I think it's Peps or Pepperonis or however they call it. Uh, It's a franchise, but there's one in Anaheim Hills that's off of Santa Ana Canyon. Um, uh, And it is going to be for February 1st. Um, We are going to get our own uh, section to the side, uh, but we're also getting uh, happy hour pricing. So it's going to be cheaper, but they have a awesome beer selection so if you like beer it's amazing they got pizza it's great been there been there a few times talked to the owner well before we even tried to do any of this stuff uh but uh it's it's gonna be uh you know the uh saturday february 1st the game starts at 7 30 me and pat will probably be there about seven or so so if you want to come early hang out meet up it's awesome uh we'll even probably have a few different little uh, kings fans uh that are longtime friends of ours but all good people, and uh, it should be a good time. And no trains, no trains, <laughs> no, no trains. trains for Eddie. So, that's, uh, that's but cool. it'll be it'll be a good time. And um, you know, <laughs> even though the seasons aren't going so great for either of the teams, it'll just be nice to just have have a beer, have a pizza, watch a hockey game, a little uh, rivalry game. So it should be a good time. Yeah, maybe it won't be the battle for Lafreniere anymore if the Ducks keep winning games. I mean, they're. Yeah. They're slowly moving out of the bottom. The Kings are, are anchored in the bottom of the conference right now. The, the Ducks went from being the second worst team in the league to, to the fifth worst team in the league with two back-to-back wins. So there's there's good and, good and bad with that. But hopefully, um, you know, when we're back after the San Jose and uh, Arizona game, we have some some at least some good things to talk about. Whether the Ducks win or lose those games, and those will be uh, have some big implications at least on the Pacific Division standings in terms of teams at the bottom and even Arizona teams at the top with that. So we'll be back. I believe Pat will also be back on that show, but it's a little bit kind of far out to tell who, yeah. who will be on that but uh, we're hoping so he he was out at, at hockey tonight so he couldn't join the show uh, and yeah. then for anybody who is uh, a member of our patreon we do have uh, two episodes coming out soon we have a rant show we're recording in the next Tuesday. couple days here and yeah. then we have a pucks and brews that uh, is getting recorded later on in the month so if you're if you're a patreon look forward for that if not check out uh, patreon.com slash puck guys for everybody to kind of get all the details and, and see what type of bonus episodes we're pumping out But that is it for the show, and uh, we will see you guys uh, in uh, about 11 days, unless we release uh, (laughs) a little bit of a a bonus show by then. All right, guys. Take care. All right. I guess.